Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Box rookie plays kicker Matt Gay felt bad enough about missing a game-winning 34-yard field goal attempt in the final seconds of Sunday's 32-31 loss to the Giants. But now a deodorant company wants to tell him how much he stinks. Is U.S. women's soccer player Carly Lloyd campaigning for his job? The Bucks head west today to Los Angeles. They're going to play the Rams. We'll break that game down for you. And what are the race chances of making the playoffs heading into their final series at Toronto? What has Charlie freaking Morton meant to the ball club? And has the bullpen turned around? And the bats, can they stay clutch? We'll talk all things raised with Neil Solons, the pre- and post-game host on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Steve, we'll get to your conversation with Neil in just a minute. I'm hoping he made the game, because I guess he's having a little trouble doing that as well. Yeah, as you'll hear, he was uh, stuck in an airport, uh, supposed to go one city, stop to Toronto. He was going through at least two cities. And so I had to interview him earlier in the day when he had a window. You were at Bucks practice at the time, so... It was just me interviewing mm-hmm. him, but uh, hopefully he's made it to uh, Toronto uh, last night and he'll be ready for the game tonight, where, depending on, we're taping this before Thursday night when Cleveland plays. Cleveland loses on Thursday. The Rays could have a shot to clinch on Friday night. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I think they're in a good position there. Of course, uh, you've got a lot of baseball action going on. Cleveland has a big series in Washington against the Nationals, who are still uh, playing for something, and then, of course, You've got the Oakland A's uh, traveling up to Seattle for a four-game series uh, as we do this podcast. And so um, those are going to be two uh, very key series for them, as as well as the Rays, who, uh, who go into Toronto. So we'll let you break that down with Neil Solons here in just a moment. Look forward to that interview. I was at uh, One Book Place, as you mentioned. And early this morning, you know, the Tampa Bay Times uh, ran an ad, and this was brought to my attention uh, fairly early. Uh, from the secret uh, deodorant company, um, as you know. And uh, it was, look, we ever since that miss that Matt Gay had on Sunday in the uh, game that they probably, you know, should have won against the New York Giants, he missed from 34 yards on the final play. He's taken a lot of, a lot of heat, um, as you might expect, for a rookie place kicker, a lot of social media trolls, a lot of, you know, local people saying, you know, get rid of him. And I think Bruce Arians made it clear both after the game and then again on Monday that, look, he, he's not going anywhere. We believe in this guy. We think he's a special uh, talent, uh, certainly has a strong leg. He missed a kick. We wished he hadn't. They shouldn't have left it uh, to that to that particular play. They blew an 18-point lead, and Matt Gay had precious little to do with the defense collapsing as it did. And we had a chance to talk to Todd Bowles as well as offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, and we can get into that in just a minute. Um, but it was kind of, it was kind of like okay, just one more thing, right? One more troll that you have here, and they took out an ad uh, in the Tampa Bay Times, and you know Carly Lloyd, of course, a U.S. women's soccer player, um, is somebody who has uh, expressed, quite frankly, an interest in maybe becoming a you know a place kicker in the NFL. I we know. saw her in training camp hit a 55-yard field goal at the Eagles training camp. 
That's correct. Yeah, he certainly did. In a joint practice uh, they were having with the Baltimore Ravens, she took time out, and, um, and she blasted one from 55 yards. Clearly, she has the, the leg strength to, uh, to do that, and no one would begrudge her if she would. But it was somewhat surprising and really, like, does Matt Gay really need this, like, national sort of trolling, if you will. But this ad, if you get a chance to see it, you can go on TampaBay.com. Um, it's a picture of Lloyd kicking that 55-yarder or one of those field goals during that practice. And the headline says, hey, Bucks fans, do you sweat 34-yarders? Carly Lloyd doesn't. Secret believes strength is more than overcoming what makes us sweat. It's continuing to pursue progress and equality in all industries and sectors. Women may not play professional football, parentheses, yet. But isn't it time for a level playing field wherever she wants to play? Fair enough. The answer to that is absolutely it's time. And, and you know, God bless her if she can um, get a tryout. And uh, I think she'd be completely capable of uh, playing in the NFL, especially as a place kicker. Uh, and I wish her well with that. But, man. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, a, that's a quality troll job. That, that is a national troll job, and that is, that is something that's going to leave a mark, as, as Levy Smith would say. I didn't see that coming. Um, and it was, it was, like I said, it was placed in the Tampa Bay Times. Now, you know, Matt is a, a, a little bit of time that I've spent with him. He's a really good guy. Uh, you know, new father, his wife just had a baby. What was it, the Tuesday after the final preseason game? He hasn't had time to really spend with them because he had to come to Tampa, and she's still out in Utah. And uh, my understanding is that after this game on Sunday in Los Angeles, she's not going to the game, but her and, and the uh, their infant son will uh, get on a plane and come to Tampa, and he'll see them for the first time in, in several weeks, it seems, uh, on Monday, which he's really looking forward to. And, of course, he's been out there, you know, trying to, to work hard and he can't wait for another opportunity to, to do his job and help his team win and all that stuff. Um, but but I, I really – I kind of – I felt bad for the guy because, um, you know, this was sort of out of nowhere. And I'm sure that the, that the people, um, you know, that make secret deodorant, which is a woman's deodorant, you know um, – were very uh, opportunistic, I suppose, uh, in trying to, you know, target maybe a place kicker that didn't maybe have his best day, to say the very least. But, boy, this was, uh, this was really something. They, they sent, by the way, we, uh, we contacted Secret at the Tampa Bay Times, and they sent a statement. And they basically, you know, their pitch wasn't anti-Matt uh, Gay, per se, but they were just – you know, standing up for for women and said that Secret Deodorant is a brand that stands for so, strong, progressive women. And um, this is from Sarah Sanders, the company's uh, associate brand director. And she said, we champion the idea that girls and women can decide their own limitations rather than have others decide for her. Carly Lloyd's uh, 55-yard field goal at the recent professional football practice inspired us. She's a woman that's not a, isn't afraid of labels, and she has a guts to defy expectations. Women's, women may not play professional football yet, we think it's time uh, the world believed that they can. Uh, that that aside, um, you know, credit to Matt Gay. When I when I showed him the ad, he wanted to read what the copy had to say, and of course, it doesn't mention Matt. Um, the only mention or the only reference is, is the missed thirty-four yard field goal, um, but it's certainly directed at him. And you know, he's had uh, quite a bit of this on, on the internet. But you know, he, to his credit, he said, you know, look, I. Uh, 
I signed up for this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, you know, it's professional football. Whatever comes with it comes with it. And, you know, the only thing that matters is that, you know, my teammates uh, have been behind me. He heard from Bruce Arians that he's not going anywhere. He said he said it to me right after the game, um, said it to me again the other day that, you know, you're going to be our kicker here for a long time. We need you to bounce back. And he thought that, you know, with the messages and the, some of the support he's gotten from his teammates, he says this is, you know, really a testament to what we got going on with his team. And, um, you know, he just, just wants to get back to kicking. But it, but it was all. It was also, like I said, it was sort of, sort of shocking and surprising. And I don't know if, for example, you know, should the next guy that misses a game winner expect an ad from Secret Deodorant, you know, in his newspaper the next day? Um, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that, the way Proctor, probably what, Proctor and Gamble own Secret, and yeah, yeah. they they like to, uh, with their marketing, get involved in social issues. Um, if yes. you remember a few months ago, the Gillette ads they had out mm-hmm. talking about toxic masculinity in men and then also a uh, father teaching a transgendered uh, child how to shave. This isn't something they do. It's not necessarily – it wasn't targeted at Matt Gay per se. He's just the one who no. happened to miss a game-winning field goal that they, they ran it with. But Procter & Gamble likes to, to wade into these waters with their marketing. And I think it's very effective and from a marketing and an ad campaign standpoint. It certainly got our attention, and, and the NFL has as large a platform as, as any sports league in, in this country. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, they're pretty smart to do so. This whole field goal thing has been a story, of course. You know, we know about the delay of game penalty and, and trying to center the ball, and Matt's had, you know, struggles from the right hash mark. And, you know, I, I talked to Byron Leftwich today, didn't get many answers from him about after they spiked the ball, you know, why there was a need to take a delay of game, why they substituted first and foremost. You know, the umpire had to stand over the ball until the defense was able to substitute. Just not a play that you need to substitute. He really didn't want to deal with it. You know, he did not want to address it. Um, I'm sure it probably wasn't his decision, you know, in those final moments how the game was being managed. I mean, that comes from the sideline, whether you send in people for the kick or you just simply stand put and let Jameis snap the ball and take a knee and then call timeout, which is what they should have done. They screwed it up, and they know they screwed it up, and it pushed them back five yards, and the kick was so close to going through that five yards might have been the difference between winning and losing. Um, But that aside, you know, Matt knows he's got to make his kicks, and – you know, he had missed an extra point. He had another one blocked. And so, you know, he's looking to bounce back. He did tell me that, you know, the only other time he struggled in his career, because he didn't kick but, but for two years at Utah, and I believe he won the Lou Groza Award as the nation's best kicker. But after a really good junior season, he came out and he started his last year at Utah and missed the field goal and then had, uh, I think, two kicks blocked. One One might have been an extra point. Um, so he was kind of, you know, by his standards and expectations, he expected to, you know, to, to really have a, a, an even better year after his junior year. And he, and he got off to a slow start, but he righted the ship and, and he wound up with a, a really good season. So he's had to come back from, from bad games before. But again, you know, this is a different level. This is the NFL. There's so much focus. And this just kind of illustrates the fact that, you know, you are a potential, you know, target of criticism or trolling or, in this case, national ads uh, by, by secret deodorant if you play in the NFL. So lesson learned and, unfortunately, one that, uh, one that Matt had to, had to experience. 
As far as Sunday's game goes, I mentioned that the Bucks are headed out west. They're going to try to get their body clocks a little more adjusted to the West Coast time, and that game is at uh, 1 o'clock out there, one twenty-five, four 4 o'clock or so uh, here back east. The Rams are not the team you want to play right now, in my opinion. I think this is going to be, you know, of this five-game stretch, this may well be the hardest game on their schedule, and that's simply because this is the NFC champions. They're off to a 3-0 start. Uh, they have a dynamic, dynamic offense, uh, a good quarterback in Jared Goff. You know, we'll see um, sort of what Sean McVay has in plan with, with Todd Gurley, if they can get him untracked. And their defense is extraordinarily good as well, and it starts with Aaron Donald. And there was so much talk, you know, over here on Wednesday uh, – I'm sorry, on Thursday about Aaron Donald and just, you know, how do you begin to block this guy? I mean, he's virtually unblockable. Some teams have used as many as three people – uh, to try to contain him, of course, and that uh, creates a lot of opportunity for others. And to complicate matters for the Bucks, we won't know for sure, and maybe the Bucks won't know for sure until Sunday sometime. But Ryan Jensen, their center, uh, is has been injured and in, in, as of Thursday had not practiced yet. So, you know, you got to be concerned with, with that situation. Um, you know, this is not the time to uh, be starting a new center, but it looks like Earl Watford – who was actually drafted by Bruce Arians, who's a guard center type, might actually be the guy that's going to start in place of Ryan Jensen if he can't go. The other option would have been to move Ali Marpet from left guard to center and then maybe either play Watford at left guard. But when you do that, you're really disrupting sort of two positions. So I'm sure, uh, you know, if they go that way, that both guards are going to have to give a lot of help to you know, to Watford on Aaron Donald, as will the entire team have to be aware of exactly where he is. Uh, they have a good defense on the back end as well. We know Keeb Talib is a lockdown corner. It's going to be a lot better than that giant secondary that Mike Evans just shredded. So, you know, going cross country, coming off a really just a devastating defeat where you collapsed and blew an 18 point lead while they may be anxious to play again. There's very often, and has been the case with the Bucks in particular, a hangover effect when they sort of let these games get away that they had at hand. So you have to wonder the combination of that, whether or not they can be able to pull up the upset, and it will be an upset. So you know, personally, when I was asked to pick this game, uh, I said that the Rams uh, would win, you know, and I've been wrong every single week on the Bucks. So that that might be good news for Bucks fans as far as that goes. Uh, but make no mistake, this is going to be a tough game, as will the last game. I, I think you look at this this sort of you know five-game stretch here, which is going to be a grind, and they can only play it one week at a time. Um, but, but this is going to be really difficult. I mean, they're going to be traveling 20,400 air miles over the next six weeks uh, to the five games that they're going to play. And they will not be playing at Raymond James again until November 10th. Now, to put that in sort of perspective, the 20,400 miles just for these five games, that's almost as far as they traveled combined in the regular season for the 2000 and 2018 seasons. They traveled 24,700 miles combined the previous two years. They're nearly going to do that just in five weeks this year. So um, that's just these five weeks. That That really sort of tells you – you know, what they're up against. And they've got lots of plans. You know, these guys will be flying in comfort. I mean, it's not like when we go, and I will be going uh, to all these trips, you know, 
domestically and you've got to do the security line. They still go through security, but it's private. Um, you know, they, they're well accommodated, especially on the trip. The airplane that they're going to have to, you know, to Europe is going to have 45 first class seats and they, they recline completely uh, to where the players can sleep overnight on their way over. Uh, they'll be in a complete, you know, supine position and, and uh, you know, well fed and, and really sort of pampered on the way over there. But still, it's, you know, you're going east and you lose a night and so you get there and right away it's going to be daytime. You got to try to find a way to get on on the London clock. And as soon as that game is over, they're getting back on a plane on Sunday and flying home. So they won't be there for very long. But this is going to be a grind. And I think I think the first game, which is at L.A., is going to be their most difficult opponent. And I think the last game, uh, you know, after they're at their most fatigued at Seattle, will be the next hardest game. So, you know, if you just say to yourself sort of, all right, well, maybe they lose those two because of what we just mentioned. So what does that leave? Well, you know, that leaves you having to upset New Orleans at New Orleans, maybe with Teddy Bridgewater. That leaves you having to beat the Carolina Panthers again in London, which is something uh, that they're capable of doing. Of course, Cam Newton is no longer, you know, part of the equation right now. He's not starting at quarterback. It's Kyle Allen. And then you would go to Tennessee. And right now, Tennessee is not a great football team. And who knows who's going to be quarterbacking, whether it'll be Marcus Mariota back then, and that's Winston Mariota showdown, or will it be Ryan Tannehill. So those are really the three games I think they have the best chance to win. But if they can find their way back here, however they do it, at 4-4, four and four, then five of their last eight games are at Raymond James. You'd feel fairly good about their, you know, their prospects at least the second half of the year. Um, but it all begins on Sunday at Los Angeles. Uh, you know, of course, you've got Sean McVay, who's just a terrific coach. Arians, um, you know, who's a great offensive mind in his own right, but has sort of struggled with some game management. The defense coming off their worst performance of the year, uh, especially in the secondary. Devin White still not able to play. Vita Vea was back at practice, so that's a positive sign. We'll see what they do to protect Jared Goff and and from from Shaq Barrett, who you know leads the NFL with eight sacks, and he's been very very hot. So it should be a competitive game, but um, I just I just feel like it's going to be tough for the Bucks to bounce back from that emotional loss against really a, arguably maybe the best team in the NFC. I mean that's that's what they're facing, and they're facing them um, you know at home in the LA Coliseum. Which boy, it's been a minute since you know the NFL has played there, of course, last couple of years, but it's been a while since the Bucks. We're back there. Sam White was the head coach. Last time the Bucks played in the L.A. Coliseum, the, the L.A. Raiders was the opponent. That's how long it's been. So looking forward to going out to L.A. on Saturday. Bucks will be there later today. All right, Neil Solons now joins us. And as we do this uh, interview on Thursday afternoon, Neil is en route to Toronto, but uh, apparently you've hit some snags. Yeah, I, you know, I guess Rick would probably appreciate this a great deal. If you're not in the team charter, and, I, and I'm flying commercially today, it can be a little challenging. I, you know, I guess I've done my own version of the modern-day planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, originally supposed to fly from Tampa to Philly to Toronto. Then mechanical issues got me going from Tampa to Charlotte to Toronto, followed by another delay on the other plane, which led led me now to go to Tampa to Charlotte to Chicago to Toronto. 
So hopefully by the time this airs, I'll actually be in Toronto. Now, if they get you out to Denver, Seattle, then you've got to tell them you're going the wrong <laughs> direction. I mean, you got to get back east here. You're going to Chicago yeah. now. Yes, I'll let them know that we made a wrong turn at Albuquerque if I ended up in Seattle. <laughs> well, anyway, you're up on your way to Toronto because there is a chance that the Rays could clinch a playoff spot even as early as Friday. Now, we're taping this Thursday before the Indians play their game, so we don't know if the Rays will be a game up or two games up on the Indians for that last wild card spot going into this. But the Rays already have 95 wins with three games yet to go. The franchise record is 97. Uh, so they could set that, or even if they take two or three, they're going to tie the franchise record. Just how how I don't want to say crazy this season's been, but with all the injuries and, and a lot of young players coming up and, and some disappointing players such as Jose Alvarado and others, how miraculous isn't right either, but how's describe this season for us. I think incredible would probably be the, the right term, at least in my mind. I mean, you know, you mentioned some of the things that have happened. And, and I mean, the fact that basically while they have a Tyler Glass now back to an extent, because he'll pitch in the game on Friday, um, but he's not fully stretched out. And nor is Blake Snell and nor is Yanni Chirinos. And, you know, you mentioned Alvarado. And, you know, while Diego Castillo has gone extremely well lately, he missed time due to um, injury and had some periods where he wasn't as successful as he was a year ago. And, you know, then you add all the position player issues and Brandon Lau, as good as he was for half a season, missing half a season. And Yandy Diaz, there's talk he could be back in the postseason, but I mean, right now he's missed half a year and, and I can go on and on and on. I mean, I think the key is, is that the whole has been some, you know, greater than the sum of the parts um, because this group has just totally bought into everything that um, the race front office and Kevin Cash and the coaching staff designed, and that's gotten them into you know a great position, and they've earned every bit of it. And it would be wonderful to see them get just to the postseason um, for the first time in six years. They're they're obviously knocking right on the door now, and, and they still have a shot to catch Oakland even to host a wild card game potentially. Now Oakland came from behind on Wednesday night. They were down two one in the ninth, and they win that game three to two. So they're still a game up on the Rays. They're going to play tonight as well, so we don't know their outcome either. So it'll either be a half game, or no, I'm sorry, they're a half game up on the Rays. Yeah, so if they do end up tied, Oakland does win the tiebreaker because they won the season series 4-3. Um, so the Rays actually would have to finish a game ahead. So even though they started the day on Thursday a half game back, it's almost like being a game and a half back um, in essence um, just because they have to finish ahead of them. Uh, but but that said, I mean, I mean, when Oakland won all those games against Houston and New York, I kind of thought, you know, oh, well, you're playing for the second wild card. And the fact that they're still in this just, you know, speaks to how well they've played, especially at home. The way they finished up the home schedule, winning 15 of their last 17 at home is really amazing because there was a stretch there where they were just OK at home and they were great on the road. And the last you know month of the season, they became a tremendous home team. Yeah, we were commenting on that it was a month or two ago that. They were, you know, what, 33 and 30 at home or something like that. It was three games above 500 while their road record was tremendous. And you're going, what's going on with this team? And, and boy, did they ever turn it on. And a lot of walk-offs of late. I mean, and it's been different players every night doing the walk-off. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, a total of 10 of them. Um, and the majority of them, you know, three of them came on the last homestand. Um, and they were doing it in extra innings uh, on a fairly frequent basis. I mean, they had the 
the bat well they had three straight wins at 11 but the two against boston by walk-off um, you know and and nate Lowe comes up with one and i mean you know you're getting it from so many sources i mean you look at the list of guys who came up with you know walk-off hits and you know gmon dead one against new york and um you know early in the year you had a one from mike brasso and you hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We've had Tommy Pham and, and Willie Adamas and... It's been spread all the way around, and, and you know what? That's that's what really good teams do. They they have multiple guys find a way to come up with big hits and big spots. But I would say, and, and Dave says this a lot on the broadcast, that you're in, at the end you want your best players to be your best players. And I do think that a lot of guys have emerged that have had struggles here in the month of September. I mean, Joey Wendell had the the leadoff home run against New York, and I think he really had come to life in the last month. And Matt Duffy, I think, hit in 10 of his last 11 games, and he had an RBI double in that game and started to see the defense play up again. And uh, Avi Garcia in that last Yankee game hit his 20th homer. And so I think a lot of the guys that were expected to have good years for this team, even though they had periods of struggle, it seems like in the biggest moments they've come through. Let's talk about a couple guys that have had really good seasons. And you saw Wednesday night, Charlie Morton, six innings pitch, one hit, three walks against the Yankees, 16 wins on the season. How good has he been? You know, I, I was discussing that almost during the game with a couple people on press row about where would his season rank in terms of performances by a race starting pitcher. And I know that David Price won a Cy Young, and I know that, um, that Blake Snell won a Cy Young. But in terms of the challenge that he faced and doing what he did in his age 35 season, I don't know if I'd put it on a par with winning a Cy Young, but in terms of the value to the team because of all the injuries that happened around him and the fact that he had a career high in innings and a career high in starts and a career high in strikeouts, and it seemed like every time they needed a big start, he provided it, you could probably make a strong argument that his value to his team in the year was as valuable as any year by a raised pitcher. Um, and, you know, it's tough for me to kind of split hairs because if this ends up as a playoff team and, and if they equal the, the franchise record win total, um, beyond that, I mean, the leadership that he provided in the clubhouse it certainly has to rank, even though there's not the complete games, the game has changed a little bit. It's got to be up there with the Price, Snell, Shields type years in terms of, you know, what was accomplished during the course of the year. I mean, especially shutting out the Yankees on one hit as he did through the first six innings on uh, on Wednesday night. Well, so he pitched Wednesday. That would make his normal start, if you go on four days rest, as Monday for game 163, assuming if the Rays need to play one. Is that the Rays' it, plans, or could yes. he pitch this weekend if needed, if, if it's, you know, all hands on deck? I I don't think that they would put him on three days rest. Now, I mean, he hasn't done it all year. In fact, they've been very careful 
with the way they worked him. I think he either pitches game 163 or the wild card game if the Rays don't have to worry about a game 163. And hopefully they don't because, you know, if, if, if they win all three games they're in, um, if they win just two of three against Toronto, if Cleveland doesn't run the table, um, then, then they would be in and wouldn't have to worry about a game 163. So, you know, I think, I think the, the, at least the logic would seem to favor the Rays, although Toronto can be very pesky. Um, you know, the, he never had made more than 30 starts in a season and he's now made 33. So to be at that point, I, I would be surprised if they pushed him to um, to pitch any more uh, on three days rest. I would think that you could you could definitely use a Brendan McKay out of the bullpen. Um, and we've seen how aggressive the Rays have been with their bullpen throughout this set. I mean, Yanni Torinos can come up, come back and provide multiple innings if needed to. And I thought his three innings against the Yankees in the 12 inning game were very good. Um, so he would be available to go three or four innings if they need it. So I think they have more than enough guys who can provide quality um, innings against the Blue Jays. Well, Charlie Morton was voted one of the co-MVPs of the team by the writers this week. The other one's Austin Meadows. And you mentioned your best players have to be your best players coming down the stretch. And Austin Meadows has been very toasty of late. He has. Um, I mean, I think he's probably had the best September of any of the Rays. There are a lot of other guys who have. But, you know, I... I, I I was um, surprised that there were co-MVPs this year, but at the same time, um, obviously, Austin had some really, really big moments. And, you know, when the Rays got off to the 14-4 and start, he was a big reason why they got off to that 14-4 uh, and start, too. So um, he definitely was the most productive offensive player that they had during the course of the year. And you started to see, even in the, I thought in the Boston series, you started to see the Red Sox almost pitch around Austin. And I think that's a great sign of respect. You know, sometimes I think you forget how young he is. Um, you know, in terms of 30 homer seasons in Rays franchise history, he's the second youngest player to have one. And the other the other player who was younger was Evan Longoria. I mean, that's it's elite company. Um, and I'm not saying that Austin is going to become as productive a player as Evan was in his prime years with the Rays. Um, but he certainly has the opportunity to be a middle-of-the-lineup guy, maybe even an impact guy going forward. And um, certainly that would be beneficial to this group uh, as they continue to build what is, I think, a very strong core. Now let's talk about some of the other players that are coming back now. Brendan Lau, what's, what does his bat in, in his presence defensively mean for this team going forward? You know, I was really surprised at how, how good his timing looked, all things considered, having missed um, the better part of a, a couple of months. Um, you know, I think he can impact the game in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, if he had his legs underneath him, I think he could impact on really three sides of the baseball because I, th I thought that when healthy, he's a very, very good base runner. But I thought he also was a plus defender. And with how good Willie Adams is playing shortstop, to have Brandon with the range he has at second base and his quickness, um, I think is extremely valuable. Um, but I also think he provides um, just another... Uh, you know, weapon in the lineup and another threat in the lineup that can go deep at any point in time, can change the game at any point in time. And I, I, they hit him seventh in one of the games that they were playing, I think, against either New York or Boston. I mean, how deep does that make the lineup look? And, I mean, you're talking about Willie Adamas hitting eighth or ninth, and he's a 20-home run guy. Um, I, I think the lineup right now with, with Brandon coming back is as deep as it's been all year. 
No, it really is. And and you mentioned earlier, I mean, Yandy Diaz, is there a chance he's back for the playoffs? That's what we're hearing now. Yeah, we're hearing it. You know, I, I'm hearing mixed things. You know, he played in, he's played in some instructional league games. Um, you know, I, I don't think his at-bats have been bad. I don't know that physically what kind of shape he's in in terms of his ability to be really good at the at, at third base or first base right now. Um, you know, he missed a lot when you're, when you're down, uh, with, uh, you know, a fractured foot, um, as he was, I think he was even in a less, uh, more challenging situation than, uh, Brandon was in terms of just the ability to get as much cardio in and being able to push himself. Um, and, and I, and I think that, you know, I could see if they were to bring him back, I would think it's more likely they bring him back as a right-handed DH against left-handed pitching. And I think some of it may even be dependent upon, who the race would face in the postseason. I'm sure, you know, if, if they think he can, like, for instance, if you're playing a wild card game against the A's, you may face Sean Manaya. Um, so, you know, I would, it wouldn't be shocking for them to add him, I guess, for that reason. Um, but at the same time, that's still asking a, a tall order to face Manaya. If you're facing the Yankees, you could face a, a Paxton if you're facing them in the postseason. Um, Houston is a little less left-handed heavy. They're much more right-handed heavy in terms of their pitching. So I think a lot is going to depend on Yandy, and a lot is going to depend on who the Rays are playing. All right, the Rays recently got some pitchers back, so let's go through them. Tyler Glasnow's looked pretty good so far, and, and, and they're building up his innings now. He's, what, up to about 60 pitches an outing? Um, he's looked pretty good. Got that fastballs back. Yeah, I mean, his velocity even looks better than it was. I mean, I, I think he's looked terrific, uh, especially the last outing against Boston when he when he struck out seven in three innings and allowed only two hits. I mean, his, you know, I think because of health, they've been very careful with trying to stretch him out and, and, and monitoring everything going forward, his usage. Um, so could he get to four or five innings if he's really efficient and feels good? Sure. Um, you know, I think that if he goes four coming off an off day, the bullpen should be in really, really good shape. And if they can get themselves a lead, maybe they can create some lower leverage innings for some guys. A lot of that depends on how the group fares offensively, um, in Toronto, which is usually a place that they swing the bats extremely well. But, you know, I think Tyler has, a, if he's, if he's stretched out to up to five innings for the postseason, um, he's a tough guy to square up. I mean, I think people forget. Um, because he missed so much time, that the first eight starts of the season, he honestly was probably the best pitcher in the American League. Um, and I'm not only saying that by results, I'm saying by stuff and his, his, his movement on his pitches, his poise on the mound, his composure, all of that. Um, so I definitely think that you know he's capable of um, helping this team continue this surge that's going on right now if, if they get far enough to, for him to pitch again. What about Blake Snell? I believe he's made four appearances since he's been back. Two of those were in Durham and rehabbing. Um, he's kind of been up and down. He's looked good at times, hasn't looked as good other times. What do you expect from him from this weekend and if they go forward in the playoffs? Well, you know, I think he's definitely going to be fairly motivated. Um, you know, I think he knew there would be some bumps in the road. And the first outing with Durham wasn't good. The second was. And then I thought he was terrific against the Dodgers when he threw, what, two innings and dominated. Mm -hmm. And then his next start when he came home, he looked all at, all kinds of out of whack. Um, he generally has pitched very well in Toronto. In fact, that was his last start last year that locked up the Cy Young. Um, it was the start when he was injured last year that he came off and I think had like five no-hit innings. 
and dominated against the Blue Jays. And I know it's a different lineup now than it was a year ago. But he's pitched well, and I think he's probably motiv- pitched well there. And I think he's probably fairly motivated uh, by the fact that he did not have a very good outing in terms of control, in terms of command against Boston. Um, and just knowing how his mindset is, if that game is meaningful, um, I think he's going to pitch well. And even if it's not, um, I think that he probably wants to get out, as stretched out as he can for the playoffs should the race be in that spot. Let's talk about the bullpen, which going into the season, many of us thought that it was probably the weakest part of the team and was maybe a little surprised it didn't had brought in a veteran presence. You look at it today, and, and if at the beginning of this season, you would have told me that the highest leverage guys in September as you're trying to clinch a playoff spot is Emilio Pagan, Colin Poche, and Oliver Drake. And Diego Castillo's pitched better of late, but they're not using him as quite as high leverage. They're getting back to that, but... How good of a job is that bullpen, particularly the back end, down the stretch done? They've, they've done really well. And I, I want to make sure, you know, that to me, the highest leverage guy has been Nick Anderson, who they got, you know, a, a couple months ago. Absolutely. Forgot him, but yes. And, and, and what he's done has been absolutely amazing. I mean, he struck out more than 50% of the batters he's faced and um, in his rookie year. I mean, people forget he is 29, but he's still a rookie. Um, it's an amazing story of perseverance. Um, and battling through independent ball and some of the issues he faced in college. And to get to this point with all the other guys you mentioned, um, it's now actually become a pretty thick bullpen. I mean, you know, I, I think Nick got the big out by striking out Aaron Judge on Wednesday to, you know, keep that game at, at 3 nothing before they made it 4. But, um, you know, Oliver has pitched incredibly well and I think has kind of been the unsung guy of the group. Um, you know, I think he is, you know, he's been more the quiet guy, but I mean, Emilio didn't make the team the first month and he, you know, he's given up some homers, but he's got a, like a strikeout to walk ratio of seven to one. And, and I think the thing that, that sticks out about him and for the most part about Oliver Drake and for Nick Anderson and probably for the last month in Diego Castillo is they really have been aggressive and pounded the strike zone. And even if they've gotten hit, um, it's because they're still aggressive. And I think of all bullpens, I think the bullpen that you want, uh, not only guys that you can trust, but guys that aren't going to walk people and give the other team, in essence, extra outs. Because I think the teams that you're facing, especially in the postseason, whether it's in New York or a Houston um, or Minnesota, their offenses can be lethal, and in Oakland too. And if you give them extra outs, um, you're asking for trouble. And I, and I think as a group... Um, that, that core has been really, really good. Um, Colin Poche, for the most part, the same. He's had some blips here and there, but I mean, he's also, you know, he's also gotten some huge outs. And then I think Chaz Rowe is, has evolved really nicely in the second half of the season. And, you know, from all the people I talked to in that clubhouse, they all believe that Chaz is the leader of the group that, you know, he's, I guess you'd call him almost a grizzled veteran. He doesn't have that much experience. Like, you know, as many been there, done that guys. But I think he's been a settling, calming influence in that pen. Um, and I think it, the one thing that sticks out for me about Chaz, because I think he's at 69 appearances now um, as we speak, is that he and all the other guys in that bullpen, they want the ball. Like, they don't take days off. Uh, unless they're told you're taking a day off, they say, I'm ready today. And, and I think that's why, as a group, they've been so successful. There's then, then that constant buy-in. Um, that's allowed them to get through this month successfully. 
I was watching MLB Network today, and they were doing a feature on, and in particular, these guys were ex-players, um, Aaron Boone and Alex Cora. Who would you rather play for? Who would you run through a wall through? But Kevin Cash doesn't mm-hmm. get enough credit for what this team has done the last two seasons, particularly. The amount of young players with some of the out-of-the-box thinking of the openers and how he's handled the pitching staff and all the injuries this year. I know everyone talks about those Yankees injuries, but if you look at the Rays injuries <laughs> and the amount of war associated with the injured time, it's not even close. I mean, Kevin, You're right. I mean, how good is Kevin Cash's job done? And I, I don't think he's going to win manager of the year this year, although I think he deserves it this year. Well, let me say this. If, if let's say, the weekend played out in such a way where the Rays – won the top wild card um, and won 98 games. To me, it's a no-brainer. If if it, it, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that he, first of all, the Yankees won over 100 games last year, and I don't care how many injuries they had. They were still, by my accounts and most, going into this season, the most talented team in the American League East by far. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they had surpassed Boston because Boston had lost some pieces to their bullpen. Um, and yes, they had injuries, but they also had tremendous talent. Glaber Torres is a tremendous talent who evolved. Um, Gary Sanchez is a tremendous talent who had a bounce back season. Um, I think what, what Kevin and his staff has done has been more challenging because they have not had as many been there, done that players. Um, they had, I think more significant injuries, you know, there's no point when you're a, t- a team designed on pitching and defense and you lose three of your five starters in the throes of a playoff race, yet you still could be in a position to end up with a franchise record total in wins. I think that says something about the players, but it also says something about the coaching staff and, and, and the front office and Kevin and the job that they've done to keep guys going, to keep guys buying in, to allow them to have success. You know, I think all of that plays into um, you know, where they are right now. I, I, I definitely think Kevin should be considered for manager of the year. And, and I think his job this year was harder um, than last year. Um, even though I think they might have added some talent, I think the injuries surpassed last year, and especially the timing of the injuries um, have all played a major, major role. And they've had to, they've had to invent things and, and, and adjust on the fly. And that's not really easy to do. And look, some guys have been great surprises. We haven't even touched on Travis Darno, who I think was probably the, the maybe the best addition the Rays have had during a season um, in terms of impact. Um, but I think Travis would be the first to say that the great environment that he's he's playing in allows him to also be really really successful. Well, I was going to ask you your, that one of my next questions was, you know, who, what has surprised you on this team, or who's been the most surprising? Darno is one that comes to mind. Um, I think just how good Austin Meadows' season has been has been surprising, too. Um, and yeah, we all had high expectations for him, but I don't know if anyone saw this this year in his first full season in the big leagues. No, I, I would probably put Emilio Pagan mm-hmm. um, near the top of the list because I thought watching him in spring training that he could be have an impact on the bullpen. But I, I probably would be, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, oh, he's going to have 20 saves and, and be the guy at the back end of the bullpen to mm-hmm. get some of the most important outs of the year. Um, so I, I, I think that I, I think you know Ryan Yarbrough has to and be that was considered another one, a surprise yep. because remember he had an injury in spring training, he was behind everybody, he struggled early and got sent down to Durham, and he and Charlie really helped hold the staff together, um, you know, throughout the course of the last couple months until guys started coming back. 
So, you know, I think, I think those pieces are probably among those um, that surprised me. Um, I think if you were to say what is one of the better stories of the season, I really think Willie Adamas' growth at shortstop mm-hmm. ranks up there. Because he went from a guy that, you know, I think unfairly so, the fan base was saying, well, is he going to be able to be a big league shortstop? Not recognizing that he was 23 years old and that guys go through growth periods and it takes time and everybody kind of learns to play the game at this level at a different pace to a guy that I think is an upper level shortstop in the big leagues um, and has the chance to eventually, and, and it's a very elite position throughout baseball. I mean, you look at the guys who are on the potential playoff teams, Lindor with Cleveland and Simeon with Oakland. And indeed, he's had a tough year with his with coming back from Tommy John, but Gleyber Torres has played shortstop too. Um, and then Houston's got Carlos Correa. You look at the American League teams, and, and Polanco's had a, a magnificent year with Minnesota. You know, shortstop is a loaded position in this league. Um, but, you know, I will say this, that, Willie defensively has been equal to any of those guys the way he has played shortstop the last two months of the year. Yeah, we didn't say that at the beginning of the year, but he definitely has stepped that up. And, you know, the hardest part, and, and this is why you thought it was, you know, you don't want to give up on a kid, is he was making the difficult plays early in the season. It was the easy plays that he would brain fart or whatever you want to call it, that, you know, he would let the easy plays get away, and he's really shored that up of late. And, and a lot of credit goes to him because he's put a ton of work in. Um, you know, I, I get to see on a daily basis the time that he spends with Rodney Linares. And Rodney is really devoted to his craft and has done a magnificent job becoming a first-year member of this coaching staff after, you know, a, a couple of decades with the Astros organization. Um, they've built a, a terrific relationship. I think one thing that stuck out when, when I was in San Diego and Seattle on one of the road trips, I sat down with Rodney just to ask about why Willie's evolved and how he's evolved. And he said the one thing was, it, early in the year, I went to him. I told him, hey, let's go get your work done. And he said, Willie started dragging me to go out and get work done. And that's when I knew he had really turned a corner in terms of just his overall approach and the way he wanted to go about things. Um, he was committed to, he believed in what, what was working, and he was committed to it, and, you know, it paid off in a massive way. He is Neil Solon's host of the pre- and post-game show on the Rays Radio Network. Still en route to Toronto. We're hoping you get there by game time tonight. <laughs> um, it's, what, 7.07 first pitch usually in Toronto. So you've got, as we're taping this, a little over 24 hours to get there. You think you can make it by then? I should be okay. I, I just hope I get a good night's sleep. Uh, but either way, I'm excited to, uh, to hopefully cover some history and see this team make the playoffs for the first time in the last six years. Um, it's really been a building process to go from 68 to 80 to 90, and now however many wins above 95 this group gets, super accomplishment, and I think everyone associated from the uh, front office to Kevin and his staff to the players should be proud of what they've done at this point. So you're saying they'll have over 100 wins next year. That's what you're saying? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, a lot of it depends on, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but there's a a real dichotomy between the the haves and the have-nots in the American League right now. I think five of the seven best teams are in the American League. I really do. Maybe even six of the top eight um, with Atlanta and the Dodgers, the two teams in the National League that I consider at that more elite level. Um, and to, to get to 100 wins, a lot will depend on how much the teams below that group are going to try and uh, legitimately improve next year. Well, and as we get to the offseason, we'll talk more about this, but there's going to be a big change on the 40-man roster for the Rays this offseason. They have a lot of decisions to make, and we'll get to that in a future podcast. 
Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, let's uh, let's see if this weekend goes as well as possible. Well, we're all hoping that Neil is at that game tonight after the travel troubles that he had. We're all familiar with those sort of things. But the Rays do begin their series in Toronto, so we want to be uh, on top of that, of course, all over the weekend and whether they have a chance to get into this postseason or not. We've got a full slate of college football games, of course, on Saturday. The Lightning have their final preseason home game at Emily Arena on Saturday. And the Bucks they take on the Rams in Los Angeles on Sunday And, of course, we'll discuss all of that on the podcast on Monday. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.